Good morning. How are you doing? My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and happy Thanksgiving officially. It's happened. Hopefully you all had a great Thanksgiving with family, friends, random people who showed up at your house and ate your food, whoever it was. Hopefully you had a good time with them uh, and that it was a good uh, holiday weekend for you. Uh, before we get started, I just want to give a big thank you uh, to our church for a couple of things that you gave, guys gave super generously towards. One of them is the Thanksgiving baskets that we did last week. Uh, we gave, I don't even know the numbers and I'm not worried about it right now, but we gave to a lot of people in our community who uh, needed food, who would have maybe might have struggled to be able to provide for their family on Thanksgiving. We gave a lot of food out. And I think one of the most encouraging things for me as a pastor of you guys is that you guys gave like above and beyond financially for this without us saying anything, which was just kind of cool. You guys gave $1,000 more towards that than you did last year, which is just like, okay, Jesus, you're doing something good. So thank you for being generous and wanting to bless people in our community. That's really awesome. Uh, and like Rob said last week, our capital campaign's done. No more asking for that. But again, you guys were really generous. We had over $43,000 come in to finish up the building, Kid Zone. We are going to do something to the bathrooms, I promise. Uh, the, the exterior, all the fun stuff. So thank you for being generous in that as well. Uh, and giving, you guys are amazing. We're really grateful for you. So thank you. We appreciate it. So we're starting a new series. So now that Thanksgiving's out of the way, I'm done with that. We're on to Christmas, okay? Uh, we're starting our Christmas series because it's December 1st, and that's what you have to do in December, right? Uh, and it's called Gift Exchange, which got me thinking about gifts. And so I thought, wonder what people would say was the best present that they remember. You know, the most memorable, the one that impacted them the most, especially as kids. What gifts stuck with you the most? So I did what we all do when we want the important personal questions of the world to be answered. I asked you all on Facebook. And got lots of fun stories, so I just wanted to share a few of the stories with you this morning as we started. Here are what people said was the best Christmas gift they remember. Uh, Kathy said when she was around eight that their whole family did a gift exchange. So everybody's passing out gifts, and she's just sitting there on the floor, and nobody's given her anything yet. So she goes up to her Uncle Charlie and pulls on his sleeve and says, Uncle Charlie, where's mine? And Uncle Charlie goes, oh, and he runs out to the barn, comes back in, and he's got this big cardboard box that's moving. You all know where this is going. Every eight-year-old's dream right here. He plops it down in front of her, and a puppy leaps up and starts licking her face. It doesn't get any better than that when you're eight on Christmas, right? Dasha said... She's not even here, but I'm giving her a shout-out. Uh, <laughs> Dasha said that when she was a teenager, uh, that she was getting skis. She knew she was going to get some skis from her parents for Christmas. Um, and so they went, and they got size, got her feet sized. They, they picked out a, a pair from the secondhand store, and she knew what she was getting. She was happy about it. And then Christmas comes. And she walks out, and she looks, and she sees a brand new, never used pair of skis sitting under the tree for her that year. And she was just shocked by her parents' generosity. 
Justin said that when he was 20 in 2008, he was deployed for the first time with the Army, and he was pretty sad because he's 20 and this is his first time away from his family on a holiday. And one of his friends had the idea that they were going to write cards. So she went, she got 40 people to start mailing cards. So he said from 40 days in front of Christmas, he got a Christmas card a day leading up to his first Christmas by himself. Mike, I liked this one. This is fun. Mike said that one day, he, he's a middle school teacher, and he had uh, one of his middle schoolers come up to him, and he was so excited in a way that only a 12-year-old boy can be. We know what that looks like. He's like shaky from it. And he's like, Mr. Curtis, guess what I did last night? What? Last night, we went to the store, and there was this tree with a bunch of cards on it for gifts that kids wanted, but their parents didn't have enough money to buy. So we took one of the cards. Then we went into the store, and we bought everything. We bought clothes. We bought a new coat. We bought all the toys, and then we took it, and we gave it so that this kid could have it for Christmas. And Mike looked down, and he was like, wow, that's awesome. I'm glad you were so generous. And then the kid said, no, 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 no. And then, Mr. Curtis, we told him to put it all under your name. Merry Christmas, Mr. Curtis. Super sweet, right? Uh, the last story from Christy, when she was seven, it was just her and her mom, single mom. And uh, so her mom was working late on Christmas Eve. And so she was with a babysitter. Late that night, when her mom was going to be getting off work, the babysitter brought her back. So they enter the apartment complex, into the building, go up the stairs, and she sees that the door to their apartment is slightly open. So she runs up, which is like the opposite of what you're supposed to do with your kid when, when, the, you, you know, when you're surprised by a door being open. But anyway, uh, but she runs up, and she pushes open the door, and she was shocked. The entire apartment had been turned into a Christmas wonderland. Gifts were under the tree. The tree was lit. Everything was on. And her mom was asleep under, you know, on the couch by the tree. So she runs up and she shakes her mom. Mom, mom, mom. Her mom wakes up, kind of, and says, oh, wow. Look, look what happened. Santa must have came while I was sleeping. And Christy just gave her a big hug. She said it was like the most magical moment she could ever have on a Christmas with her mom. And, of course, she got a Barbie dream house that year, so everything was pretty amazing. Barbie dream houses are still a thing. Barbie, good job making money for lots of years. Kind of, a, kind of amazing. Uh, what I love about these stories and the many others that I got, which were fun, is that they're costly and personal right? They're, they're parents shocking their kids with their generosity. They're friends being super intentional and loving their friends in big ways. They're extended family members giving gifts that last for a long time, not just for a couple of days and then the toy gets, gets tossed, which is fine. But these are gifts that stick with you. The best gifts seem to be ones that show love, intentionality, and generosity. They're worth a lot more than the price tag, right? 
This December, we're doing a series called Gift Exchange, like I mentioned. And the reason that we're doing that is because we think that Jesus has really good gifts that he wants to give us this Christmas, that he wants to exchange our maybe not as great gifts for some amazing ones that change us, that change everything in us this Christmas. Gifts that are marked with love, intentionality, and generosity. This morning, I'm going to talk about the greatest gift. I stole it on the first week so that I could get it in. Uh, (laughs) We're going to talk about the greatest gift that Jesus came to bring. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into it. Jesus, I just thank you for what you're up to today. We, we do thank you for your goodness to us this week, for the ways that we got to, the times that we got to spend with people that we love, with our family, with friends. Thank you for the ways that you showed up in the middle of that and made us aware of your goodness to us. And I pray this morning, I pray that we will encounter the gifts that you have for us. And we won't leave here without being changed and transformed by the gifts that you want to give us. You have gifts that are costly, gifts that are just over-the-top generous, gifts that are so personal and intentional that they shock us. And I pray that you'll give those to us today. We don't want to leave here the same. We want to leave here changed by the reality of who you are and what you want to do in our lives. So we just give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we're going to start off this morning. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. If you don't have a Bible, they're up front and they're not in the back, so don't go looking back there. But you can grab one up front or you can read it from the screen. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, and he sold everything that he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, if you're sitting there like me, and you're like, why didn't he just take it? I think Jesus is telling us a little something as we read these. He's telling us that this isn't something you can just take. It's something that in order to get, you have to be willing to pay the price for. It's too costly to just sneak away, to just steal from the field. You have to be willing to give something up. Let's read the second part of this. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So there's two ways that Jesus tells us that we could get this treasure. There's lots of ways that we could meet Jesus. We know that. But two ways that he tells us here. One is you stumble upon it. You're just out doing your thing, not really paying, not looking for anything. And then all of a sudden, you're digging a fence post, and boom, there it is. And you're shocked, mind blown. Everything changed. You're willing to change everything about your life for what you've just found. The second way is that you've been looking really, really hard for this thing your whole life. You've trained to find it. You've been desperate to find it, but you've never found the thing that fits, the thing that is actually worth everything until you do. And then you realize that this is what it is. What's your story? What's your story 
where you dig in a fence post and all of a sudden your mind was blown by the reality of who Jesus is and what he was giving to you? Or did you train? Did you look for something? You wanted to find it, but you didn't know what it was until you did. We all have a way that we encounter Jesus. What's your story? Jesus tells us about these two. And he talks about a pearl and a treasure. But what he's really talking about, he tells us at the beginning of verse 44 and probably, yeah, the beginning of verse 45 as well. It's about the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of God. Same thing, just so we know. Same thing. So the kingdom of heaven is worth everything that you have. It's worth selling everything for, and in fact, that's what it costs. That's what Jesus tells us right here. So what is the kingdom of God? Now, if you've been going here for a while, just excuse me while I say something that you already know. But if you've never heard, I want to make sure you know what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is Jesus' main message. It's the central thing that he talked about over and over and over again. It's God's rule and reign in our world. It's his rule as, as king. It's God's will breaking into our world. It's God's reign breaking in through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's the message of Jesus. It's the central thing that he talks about over and over and over again. Every story he tells is about the kingdom of God. It's about what God was up to. His inaugural address in Luke 4, he says, the kingdom has come. He brought it. It's here. It's breaking in. And it's already defeated sin, death, and evil in our world. And it's going to do it in dramatic ways when he returns. That's what the kingdom of God is. So, how does this fit into giving up everything? Is this really worth giving up everything for, selling everything for, like Jesus says? Sometimes he says these things, and you're like, couldn't you have just said it's like $1,000? Like, does it have to be everything? You know, like he pushes the button, just, you know, the, the envelope just a little bit further than we're okay with. Is it really worth everything? So can I just show you how my mind works a little bit? So for some reason, I'm thinking about this. And then Psychology 101 popped into my head. Maslow. Anybody? Hierarchy of needs. You remember Psych 101? Abraham Maslow had this pyramid that was all about your needs. He said that we're motivated by needs. And that once we reach one level of kind of satisfaction or uh, acquiring what it is that we need, then we move on to the next and the next and the next and the next. And it keeps going all the way to the top. He created this whole pyramid just to show us that reality. And here's how he laid it out. He started off at the bottom with his physiological needs. That's food, water, sleep, the things that you get really cranky if you don't have. You understand that. And then once you have that need met, then you move up. And you move to safety, which includes physical safety and financial security. Once you have that, so to speak, to a certain level, then you move up and you start wanting the next thing, which is belonging and love. Family, friends, marriage, kids, all of that type of stuff in that one. Once you have that one, then you move up to the next one, which is esteem feeling accomplished, having feelings of self-worth, you know, feeling good about yourself and what you've done, so to speak. And once you have that, then you reach the top 
the pinnacle, the, the, the best place you could ever get, self-actualization, the place that is reserved only for the likes of Gandhi and Taylor Swift, the place that none of us will ever reach, right? <laughs> like, we will never get there. Only Tay-Tay can reach that place, self-actualization. So this is Maslow's idea, right? This is what he laid out there. It's, he's been made fun of a little bit for it, but it, it's, it's whatever. It's what it is. So what if Jesus was laying out something like this? This is where my mind went. I don't know why, but it was. And so I started thinking, where would Jesus place the kingdom of God? Would it be at the top? Is it like, is it Gandhi's own? The kingdom of God is for the self-actualized. Once you've found everything else, then you have the time and energy to actually think about something like the kingdom of God. Or is it somewhere else in there? Is it like in the middle? Is it around relationships? It's something that comes, you know, when you have these other needs met, that all of a sudden then you reach a place where you're like, okay, now I can start to think about even worrying about religion about Jesus, about all of this type of stuff. Where would he put the kingdom of God? Here's where I think Jesus would place it. I think he'd put it at the bottom. And I think he'd put it at the top. It'd be at both places. Because being a part of the kingdom of God, having a relationship with Jesus, accepting the love of Jesus, the life that Jesus brings is the single most basic and the single most complex and integrated thing that you could ever need in your life. And this is where it connects with what Jesus is talking about. How can the kingdom of God be your most basic need? Well, if you give up everything else, are you just going to be broke? (laughs) Are you going to be stuck there like you sold everything for this, like, big old trinket pearl that's like sitting in your lap for a a box of gold coins, of chocolate gold coins that you just eat one at a time to survive? No, what Jesus is saying is that when you're willing to give everything up, he will give you what you need. He makes it all okay. He provides for us. There are two ways to look at this. Two ways to look at these stories. Here's the first way. Is it the end of the story? Is acquiring the treasure the end? Or is it the beginning of a new story? Let me tell you something. If you sell everything for an ending, you're a fool. That is a waste. Nobody sells everything for an ending. It doesn't matter that much. But for a new beginning, for a completely different story, you might be willing to risk everything you have in order to acquire that. That's worth putting everything on the line for. This has to be seen as a beginning, not an end. This isn't the, just the pinnacle place that you reach when you're 95. This has to be integrated through everything. Otherwise, you're missing it. It wasn't enough that the man found something of great value. He had to do something. He had to be willing to risk everything in order to acquire. That doesn't mean, though, that it was like sad and heartbreaking and like scary and and filled with anxiety. 
That's not what Jesus tells us. Jesus says in, the, in this story that the man went and sold with joy everything. There wasn't fear in that. This wasn't a scary thing. He knew where his investment was going to be best used. This was a solid risk, but he had to be willing to risk with joy, with a sense of great privilege, falling down on his knees with gratitude. He gave it all up so that he could acquire this gift that Jesus wanted to give him. What if we really lived our lives as if the kingdom of God, the gift of Jesus, was worth risking everything, was worth everything that we possibly could have? How would that change things for us? How would that change us? Ephesians 2 talks about this, verses 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What does this gift bring to us? What does the kingdom of God give to us? Well, the gift that Jesus talks about in Matthew and now Paul talks about in Ephesians brings us this. Paul says that when we accept the gift of Jesus, that something amazing happens, that we're recreated, that we're reborn. Now, I'm going to give you a little basic biology in case you missed this lesson uh, when you were much younger. Um, you had nothing to do with the fact that you were born, right? You, you didn't coach your parents through it. You didn't encourage them to give birth to you. Or, or it's in church, I'll stop. But you didn't do anything to make that process happen, right? We had nothing to do with it. Not us at all. We just happened. And then here we are. It's a gift, Nothing that we could do. And in the same way, this gift of Jesus, there's nothing that we can do to make it happen. We don't, like, make the treasure. We don't make the pearl. It's just there. What we do with it from that point on is up to us, so to speak. But the prior part, that has nothing to do with us. And so Jesus tells us here that he's giving us this gift. It's going to do something to us. And we don't really get a lot of choices in being made new. That's part of the process. These words that, that Paul uses create a new. It's a God activity. He very specifically, the actual words in the Greek say that it's something only God could do. It's not something that we could do. It's a change and a transformation that happens to us. The act of God recreating like he did in the very beginning, creating for the first time. You are God's masterpiece, Paul tells us. Some of us might struggle with that one. I'm not going to sit here and act like we all have this amazing self-confidence. And we're like, yes, I am a masterpiece. <laughs> Maybe some of us need to back off of that a little bit. I don't know. Um, but some of us don't have that. We've been hurt. We struggle with that reality. That's just part of what comes with being human sometimes. We don't feel like we're a masterpiece, like we're worth something amazing. But here's the good news. This, with this whole thing, 
It doesn't matter if you struggle with it. That doesn't change anything. Your struggle with receiving this, your struggle with, re, with accepting the reality that you are amazing, that you are a masterpiece in God's eyes, that God has created you specifically, doesn't take away the reality that it's true. He still gives it to us. We don't have to make believe it in order to get it. It's still the reality. And I think this morning there might be some of us that Jesus is saying, you need to fully accept this. You are worth a lot. You're worth everything. That's what he wants us to believe. But be warned. Once you accept it, there's no going back. There's no return to sender because you kind of can't. Why can't you? Miroslav Wolf says it this way. God's gifts don't diminish those who receive them. They don't come with a card that says you are small and insignificant and I am big and important. God's gifts establish. They come with a card that says you are loved and therefore you exist. God's gifts change us. Once you've been changed by the gift of God, there's no going back. You've been transformed. You can't fit it back into the box and return it to sender. There is no label that Amazon can send you that allows you to ship it back. You're stuck. You've been changed too much to ever get rid of what it is that Jesus has given to you when you fully have accepted it. And what would you even try and go back to? What would be worth going back to? There's this beautiful encounter between Jesus and his disciples in John 6 that I want to look at that talks about, it's a conversation between Jesus and Peter and the other disciples that hits this on the head, I think. John 6, 60. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? I like how it's like, nobody talks like that. Uh, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? And Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So, honesty time. Sometimes I have a negative view on things when I first hear them. This is one of those that sometimes I've read this, and this is kind of what I've heard. I know all of you are more positive than I am, uh, but this is kind of what I hear. Jesus, we're in too deep. You just said some really super weird stuff back there. You can read the rest of it before that later on, but it's like cannibalist type stuff. So like you just said some super weird stuff back there, uh, but, but we've already given up everything. There's nothing. I don't have anything left. I don't have anywhere to go. I gave up my job. I gave up my place. I've given up everything for you. It's too late. Where can I even think about going? I don't have anything to start over with. There's nothing left. We're stuck with you. Sometimes that's how I've read that. And then 
tainted through my own uh, junk at times, right? You know, we read it and we hear like what we might be feeling at the time. And sometimes I've read it this way, but hopefully all of you are much more positive and read things much more clearly uh, with the Holy Spirit than I do. And here's what you've actually heard. Jesus, we're in too deep. You just said some weird stuff, some really weird stuff, but we've already given up everything. We've left our jobs. We left our people, our places. There's nothing. We give it up for you. And again, you said weird stuff, and we're going to have to talk about it, but we're not going anywhere because we believe you. We know you, and we've given up everything for you. Have you ever been in a place where you've had that kind of conversation with Jesus? Where you truly thought about what it would look like to walk away? where you've questioned whether or not following Jesus was actually worth it because the things he's asking you for feel like they cost too much. He's gone one step too far and it's just not working anymore. Have you ever wondered if it would be easier to just walk away and start over? I have. I'll put my hand up first. Honestly, I've had this exact same thought process several times in my life where I've said, God, I'm, I'm not sure this is adding up anymore. You ask too much. You don't give enough. I don't think that I can do this. And I've sat there and I've thought through what my life would look like without Jesus. Have you ever been there where you've thought it through? I have. Again, real talk. I've thought that process through, and at the end of the day, in those times, I've said something eerily similar to Peter. I've said, you ask too much. You say weird things. I'm not quite sure how I can get on board with all of this, but I know you. And there truly is nowhere else I could go now that I know you. Nowhere. I've been changed too much. And you know what happens to us in those moments, friends? We start to change even more. It sinks in deeper. It becomes truer. We start to see Jesus even more clearly in those moments. Following Jesus is sometimes truly really hard. It's just what it is. But it is worth it. Every single time, it's worth it. Every single way, it is worth it. We might not see how it's going to be worth it, but it is worth it. Giving up everything so we can accept the gift of Jesus is worth it. So as we come to an end this morning, what are, what are we receiving in this exchange? What are, what's God giving to us? 
Well, he's giving us our most basic need, and he's giving us our most self-actualized need, to use Maslow's words. When you're at your most desperate point, it's the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And when you're at your most fulfilled, happy, I got everything in the world, it's still the greatest gift that you could ever receive. It's worth everything at every point. This gift from Jesus will change you. It will transform you. It won't allow you to stay where you're at. It will make you look different than you started out. It will recreate you. But once you've accepted it, once you've encountered Jesus, there is nowhere that you would rather be than with him. Nowhere. It wins every time. And so this morning, I want to invite us to accept his gift. I'm sure there's some of us here that have been going to this church for years. And you've, heard, you've had opportunities, but there's always been a couple of things that you're like, I'll follow you this far, Jesus, but there's these three things. But I'm not really willing to give up for you. We probably don't say it clearly like that, but we know it in our hearts. There's some of us who have never decided to accept the gift that Jesus wants to give us, who have never decided to sell everything to buy the field. Wherever you're at in that spot, I don't want you to go into this Christmas without making a firm, solid choice to give up everything for Jesus because it does matter that much. You can't go halfway in this. You gotta go all the way. And so if you'll just pray with me, and if you're in one of those spots or somewhere in between, pray alongside of me as I pray. Say, Jesus, I found the treasure. I'm still kind of figuring out what this is, but I know that it's worth everything. Thank you for your gift, for your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you for recreating me, for saying that I'm a masterpiece, that I'm exactly what you wanted to create, that I am worth so much to you. And today, Jesus, I give everything to you. I give you my good stuff that I love. I give you my bad stuff that I'm ashamed of. And I give you everything in between. I give it up to you. Fill me today. Make me new. Recreate me in ways that only you can. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Worship team, come on up. We're going to worship. We're going to sing a Christmas carol. You know, we're going to do it up Christmas style. But this morning, don't just move on. Keep giving it up. Keep accepting the gift that Jesus wants you to accept this morning. Don't just walk away here without allowing him to change you today, to be transformed. Amen.